Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. And look, BetOnline, it's back and better than ever. It's got a new web interface for the start of the basketball season. It's got more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. So what are you waiting for? Head on your mobile device and sign up today to receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Only when you use promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive that bonus. All the kinds of sports that are out there, UFC right now, your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming into the pod. It's a Friday pod, but we're probably going to be airing it on Monday. I'm so excited to have an old friend back on the pod, but this time it's for the first time. He has a new comedy special coming out, Drive Our Comedy Special. It is entitled, What Millennials Do After Graduation. I haven't seen him in a few years, but I'm excited to talk some sports and some comedy with him. It's Michael Palasek. What's up, Michael? How's it going? It's going fantastic, man. How are you? And those that can't see right now, beautiful Phoenix Hotel. Yes. Very nice. Waterfall in the background. (laughs) Yes. uh, I'm at the Talking Stick Resort. There are stacks of cash from all my winnings. Yeah, don't tip them over because you'll have to start and count it all over again. Not a lot of fun. I'm uh, just so happy to have you on, man, because just a little background between us, you know, from what I can recall and what I can account for, yeah. you know, you would come and you would do, I would see your stand-up, you would come and sometimes open and do stand-up for our sketch comedy, but really after the show it was staring up at the TV, uh, drinking a high life and maybe doing a shot and just talking sports, so I'm so excited to have you back on and I'm so happy and really, really enjoyed your new comedy special. So let's just kind of start there a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about, first of all, just forgive me because of the pandemic, when did you actually shoot that comedy special? Yeah, so um, it was in it was shot in Utah and it was uh, October of 2019. Okay, perfect timing. Great, yeah. great job, great job there. Um, no, we got it in. I remember because there were fires in LA because that's the season now. And so we, my family, we just took a road trip to Utah and uh, Stopped at Zion and and did the show and it was really fun. And you know, pretty obvious question, but what has this last couple of years been like for you? I mean, you're a man that's on the road, entertaining people in so many different cities across the country. Yeah, I can imagine it's part of your routine at this point a little bit. And what has it kind of done for? I mean, because I remember during there's certain periods of this time during the pandemic where I would talk to my buddy like Pat Babbitt and I'd be like, uh, "So when can we be funny?" Or like, you know, when when is yeah. this all right? What has the last couple of years been like for you, just comedy-wise, and has it altered your perspective at all? Um, my perspective, I am always ready to leave now, whenever the options on the table. Like, I have a joke. I mean, I don't know if it's – but I, I say, like, before all this happened, I would be, like, packing at, like, 3 a.m. before my flight leaves at 7 and whatever. Now I have a show on a Friday. I am ready to go on Monday just in case they need me. They call me early. I'm available. It doesn't even have to pan out. There's no reason to negotiate with my agent. Just take everything. Like, I'm just yeah. ready to go. <laughs> well, so I think that's just one. Like I just want to do it all the time. Because yeah, and I'm so like, happy to hear that you're you're finally back on the road a little bit. And yeah. you know your comedy special. It's funny because you know for everyone that should check, definitely check it out. Um, it's absolutely hilarious. Um, if you're an English major, be careful. Um, <laughs> if you're a man, if you're a man looking to be not be bothered at an amusement park or uh, you know at a water park, uh, watch out. 
but there's so many great bits in there. Has any of that survived uh, the last couple of years in your act now, or is this all fresh, new, ready to roll? Well, uh, yeah, if someone comes out and sees my show, because that is the most viewed thing that I've made, I kind of, uh, unless someone asks for something, I do everything else because that's what people have seen. And, um, but I, there are like times where if I'm opening for somebody or if I'm doing like a private show or a corporate or college where I'll just pull from wherever because, you know, I, that's all my stuff. So it is interesting though, you mentioned the water park thing. Uh, I do a joke about lifetime fitness and how you have to ask for someone to come watch you go down a water slide, which as an adult, it's kind mm -hmm. of, can be awkward. Especially if you want to do it a lot. And, and especially uh, if you ask them to do it twice. <laughs> yeah. And, and dry bar, like, they put the whole thing on YouTube, but then they, that was like, I think a clip. I think it was. And Lifetime reached out to me on Instagram and they were like, anytime you want to come to our gym, you're more than welcome. And we'll have someone there to come watch. <laughs> wow. Lifetime spotter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's the perks. That's the perks yeah. of comedy. <laughs> um, if you can do me a favor, uh, help walk the listeners through a little bit about not just like where you got started in comedy, but I'm kind of more interested of like where, where and when did you kind of realize that comedy was your thing as a kid? Was there like a joke? Was there a movie? Was there something? What was that spark that kind of driven, that drove you towards, you know, being a comedic person? Well, my dad's an accountant and my mom's a teacher, but they're both very funny without trying to be at all. Like they're not like saying the wittiest things all the time, but just them as people are funny. Like, when my older, I have an older brother and his friends from college found out I did stand up, they're like, you should just talk about your dad. Cause he just, he's very, I know he's just got a lot of quirks and stuff. So I think I grew up around that. And then my, my dad, whenever he came home from work, uh, he was like, does anybody have any good jokes? And I was like a little kid. So I found a joke book and I would do the jokes and, and I would just keep doing them until they're like, all right, we're going to eat now. Like I started getting the light at a very young age, like <laughs> we're like wrap it up. And so I think that was in me. And I was a middle child, so I think like there's a sense of defining yourself. But I remember in second grade, one of my friends was really funny. I've always been friends with people that are funny because I, I like to be around it. And someone said that he was going to be a stand-up comedian because he was so funny. And that's what, the first time I was like, oh, I want to do that too. Yeah. And uh, and then growing up watching like sitcoms or different comedians I could see on TV was always like a passion I was drawn to. And and then luckily, I played sports growing up. So, and I went to a small high school, so you could play whatever you wanted to, as long as you showed up. And so I was really busy with that. And then I went to college at Xavier in Cincinnati and, and I like tried out and wasn't good enough to play or whatever, which I was really grateful for because I was able to sort of just start doing this as my thing. You do such a great job of having unique perspectives in relatable concepts while also flipping them and having like, re like relatable perspectives in unique concepts like you do a nice job of flip of flipping through that a little bit because a lot of this stuff is a little bit of your life right i mean some of it is exaggerated but you know you are pulling on stuff that really happened in your life oh yeah i, I when i started i i wish i could remember that guy's name but there was a website a guy i worked with at riddles in the suburbs of chicago and uh he had a website and he taught he just basically gave his advice on stand-up and at the time he was like uh, we're clean because then you can do TV because that's how it was when I started like you couldn't even swear on Comedy Central back then they believed you yeah. and uh, you can open for anybody and then he was like talk about your life because nobody's done that before so those were kind of like the things I grew up with comedy wise and uh, I've stuck to it like I think uh, it's 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 just what I am drawn to doing and 
I was an English major when I was in college, which I make fun of. But uh, one of the things I remember, I think it was T.S. Eliot said that uh, the more specific your parameters are, basically, for what you're writing, like the more strict your rules are, the more creative you're going to be because you have to do that. And I remember taking like improv classes and writing classes and teachers said similar things. So I think putting those sort of like parameters of like, I'm going to talk about things that are real to me and uh, and explore those may uh, like it's just helped me be more creative. Yeah, I absolutely love that. In terms of you mentioned playing sports growing up, uh, A, I do want to hear what sports you played growing up and maybe which one was your favorite one. But I like to ask this of guests, especially when I don't necessarily have a strictly sports people on, because I think maybe we were maybe we were drawn to each other after a show because we both like sports, right? That's an easy and common denominator for us to have a yeah. conversation. But for a lot of our um, peers and people in our industry, they actually grew up not liking sports. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you, because I'm always so curious, I feel like as a kid, sports informs you one way or the other, right? Even if you hate it, the whole concept yeah. that you learn to hate it creates an individual expression, right, that you yeah, rebel yeah. against. And sometimes that creates some of the most artistic people in the world. Well, also for me personally, playing sports taught me lessons like collaboration, um, competitiveness, yeah, yeah. but also compartmentalizing that because realizing that not everything is life or death. You have to move on to the next thing. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, what was what was playing sports for you like and how does that, if at all, inform your comedy? Well, first, the thing that you mentioned, I do remember and I feel that even connection now of like finding someone in comedy who also likes sports because you're totally right about that. Like. I feel like, and I didn't even realize how deep it goes until, which I'm a huge fan of Judd Apatow, but that world is like, I feel like we're more of the Will, Fer Will Ferrell, Adam McKay type. If we were going to pick a studio or whatever, that was like, they, and they like, like I've seen Judd Apatow at Dodgers game. Like they go to sports, but I feel like it's just, like you said, it defines you one way or the other. And, um, and the second part was about, what, what I learned from sports how for my Yeah, well, like, so just through playing sports, did any of that kind of rub off into how you maybe approached either the comedy scene or your, the comedy yourself at times? And it can be, it can be no, that, that's fair. Oh, no, it definitely did. Like, so <clears throat> I, I played baseball, basketball, and football in high school, but in football, I feel like it's the most sort of in your face, you're going to lose or you're going to win based on how you are as a team. Like you can't own a game as a football player. You know, you can't, you can't control that. There's no like LeBron James of the NFL. Like maybe the closest is Tom Brady and still he's drawing people to him, you know, like, so when I started doing standup and I started, you know, you, it's really, it can be really hard. That never bothered me. Like, not getting laughs failing was like built into my DNA because I had gone Owen 20 on the basketball court. I'd gone Owen eight playing football. Like there have been week where you are doing it purely because you like it. There's no outside other thing because you're not winning. <laughs> like, and yeah. there's no, there might be no chance that you win the whole season and you discover the parts of it that you love that aren't about that. And I think, that's the thing that I think sports, maybe you, you can definitely get that from other things too, but sports gave me was like, there is a, uh, like people always quote Vince Lombardi, winning isn't, uh, well, I, don't, I can't remember the quote, but he, he got quoted on winning isn't the only thing, it's everything. It's everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, it, and he went back and explained something how, uh, how like, I don't know, I think it's, it's all about the process and that's what sports taught me. 
Yeah, and I and I just and it's look, I, this is isn't uh, this, yeah, this isn't advocating of like I think every kid needs to play sports because I I I find it really refreshing that I am a diehard sports fan, but I love talking to people that hate sports just to try and get to the minutia of why because typically it isn't so much the construct of the game; it's more of the experience that they had growing up or something happened yeah. or you're picked last you're just not very good at it and you're like fuck this i'm gonna go do something else but yeah. for me personally i learned it kind of the same way that you did where i could tell a joke and it's almost this freedom of the pressure of whether or not someone's gonna laugh or not was irrelevant because i'm swinging at this pitch yeah this is my pitch and i'm going to swing at it and that's how i was able to kind of get through i think some of the bumps because i don't think anyone that starts off and does comedy is where they want to be five, six years down the road, it's definitely hours and hours and reps and reps, just like practice in a sport. Yeah. And if you get to the point where you're doing improv or you're in a play or you're in an acting class, sometimes teachers and directors can just be very blunt with you if you're shooting something, which I've always been like totally fine with. Like I, I'm, it's not like I want to be yelled at, but it, and even if I feel like a little bit of resistance on it, I get how to take it, you know, mm -hmm. like, cause when that's just what you learn playing sports is like, it's not about your coach isn't yelling at you because he doesn't like you. He's yelling at you because he wants you to be great. And so when I would sit in acting classes or, or like different scenarios and people would sort of resist getting notes, it's just like, you're just wasting everyone's time, man. Like <laughs> this, we learned this in sixth grade when we had to run laps because you wouldn't set a screen on that play. Like it's oh, just, I'm sorry. You can't get better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's such a funny thing that you brought up too with um, a play, um, because my experience in a play I found to be very uh, there was there's an irony and there's a contradiction in it because a lot of people that I would do plays with uh, vehemently hated sports, right? And maybe this is a comment more on humanity, but you know this better than anyone. Uh, the night before opening night, someone will always get up and just be like, you know what? No matter what happens in this play, we are all family. And I, you know, I have all of your backs for the rest of eternity and the rest of time. Where yeah. if you go into a sports locker room before the game, it's just like we're brothers. We yeah. stick together. You know what I mean? Like it's the same, the same way. Thing. It's the same bonding mechanism, and yet two totally different things that clearly people uh, dislike because they don't understand. Maybe you know, it's the same bonding mechanism. The only one is one of them like helps out your cardio better. Like that's like. <laughs> like <laughs> That's, yeah, you get both out of that. Yeah, so. one one is makes you look great in makeup. And the, <laughs> other one, the other one actually you can become more emotionally available or whatever. But the other one, I don't know. I've cried more in a football field than any other time in my life. So there's yeah. no, like the, I've never the emotive, shed more tears. The emotive state, the emotive state on a football field. What position did you play? So uh, I, I went to a small high school. I mean, we were two A, and at the time in Indiana there were five A's. So we were. We were the second to smallest, and but we were in a bigger conference where most of most of our schools were bigger. My older brother was a senior, so the coaches knew me. So the senior class was really good. It's a long answer for a short answer. Uh, and the senior was a quarterback, and they didn't really have anybody coming after him that wasn't a senior. So my eighth grade year, the the varsity coach came into the, like my homeroom and was like, "Hey, you're going to start working out with me to play quarterback." So I was like, "Okay." Uh, Cause he just knew my brother was smart and he worked really hard. So they were like, we'll start doing that. So freshman year, I played quarterback with another kid on JV and then sophomore year when everyone graduated, I started with, there was a freshman that was also good, but then he got hurt. So I just took over 
And then my junior year, there was another freshman that was good, but then he got hurt. Like everyone, every season pretty much was like someone else was the guy and then they wouldn't make, and then I, I was really good at not getting hurt. That was my main, like, and I played the majority of all the games at quarterback, uh, sophomore, on varsity, sophomore through senior year. And uh, senior year, I played both ways, but uh, yeah. Michael, the availability palisade. Uh-huh, that was my thing. <laughs> I, I loved playing quarterback and I, I, um, I think if I knew now, like, which I've learned from performing stand-up, like psychologically, just like the mental growth I've had in the last 20 years, which is weird to go back and think about it. I think I would have, uh, we would have been better, but I had so much fun and it's, they, like, I remember learning, someone was like, that's the hardest position in all of sports is quarterback. And I think they're right. Um, but I loved every second of it. Yeah. yeah I often think about the whole, like, if I could take what I knew now and apply it to then, I don't know. I'm kind of good. Like, I always wonder, like, if I'd put more, like, hours into being a catcher in baseball or, like, learn how right. to hit a curveball, what would have happened? It's just like, I don't know. It all kind of sort of worked out. Because I, I don't know what, what happened for you. Did you start Did you start performing in high school? Did it, was it a concurrent thing? I kind of had that thing where I was doing tons of sports. I took an acting class because I liked goofing around. Yeah. And it's sort of like the light bulb went off. And suddenly the scales kind of tipped and then sports kind of went like this and then performing went like that. Yeah. In my life, I've always been forced to make changes from the universe. <laughs> like, so I played sports. Uh, I think I, I didn't have time. Like I said, I, I played baseball in the spring and basketball in the winter and football in the fall every year, except one winter I didn't play basketball. Um, so there wasn't like time to do plays, even though I wanted to. Yeah. And then my senior year, um, I gave a speech at graduation and that was like the first time I got to make people laugh. And so that was like a thing that popped for me, but it wasn't, I was going, my goal was to play sports, to play professionally or college or whatever, as much as I could play as much as I could. Um, and I think it was more like looking back, I just didn't want anybody to give up on their dreams cause they didn't have to. But at the same time, I, uh, I, I think the only thing I would look back and change is like, I think I would just been more positive, more consistently. Um, so anyways, I went to college and tried out for the debate and it was division one, but I didn't make it as a freshman. And so that's when I was able to like take acting classes and I auditioned for a play. And so freshman year of college was when I first started doing everything. And I loved it all. I still tried out for the baseball team every year and I got better. Um, but, uh, well, to this day, still last year, how were tryouts last year? Did it- I mean, <laughs> I don't try anymore. I still play in a league in this, uh, uh, in LA and I played in one in Chicago in the summer. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I can post yeah. my stats online if people want to double check. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We got some fantasy <laughs> freaks listening to this podcast. <laughs> fantasy PCBL baseball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I definitely wanted to bring you on and talk some general sports because uh, I love doing that with you, and I haven't seen you in a long time. Yeah. So um, maybe we'll start here. You know, I want to start with the NFL. Uh, I tossed this question. Well, really quick, I remember you opened my eyes, I believe, to the NBA uh, game, whatever it was. Whatever it was called, you were the first person I knew that got every NBA game, and you're like, "Oh, cool. yeah, League Pass, League Pass." And now I do it, and it's it's the best. Uh, it, <laughs> I was like, it, that was Joey. Joey did that. It's funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I have to do every. I do MLB package, obviously mm-hmm. Sunday ticket, and then yeah. I do uh, the NBA League Pass because we live out here in LA. And maybe uh, if I can get a comment from you on this one, LA, uh, beautiful weather, mm-hmm. uh, sandy beaches. Palm yeah. trees, traffic, <laughs> all the cliches. It has to be one of the worst like sports bar towns 
<laughs> in America, because look, like everyone loves the Lakers. Yeah. Everyone loves USC. Everyone loves the Dodgers. I get all that. And now the Rams are starting to come around. Mm-hmm. But if me and you wanted to walk into a bar on a Wednesday and watch a Bulls Grizzlies game, uh, typically some places would be able to do that. There's not a lot of places out here, man. I end up at like Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. BW3s. There used to be a Chicago bar somewhere. I don't. You know what is weird? There's there have been. It's funny you say that. There have been bars that I've walked into, even just to pick up food, where like the World Series is a game that's on TV, and since the Dodgers aren't, it's not even on TV. I think one time I had to ask to get a Dodger playoff game on TV. It's like people running the TVs at sport don't even know the big things that are on. It's like we're watching some documentary on NBA TV or whatever. When there's like, what are you doing? There's playoffs. Yeah, it, I I used to I, I worked at a restaurant for a long time, and I'd walk in and it'd be like, be like horse racing at like five thirty at night, and I'm like, guys, there's like, there's NHL hockey, there's like four primetime hoops games right now, there's a Thursday night football game, and we're we're rolling we're rolling the horses out right now. Like, it makes no sense to me. Yeah. Uh, if I could, yeah, ask anything to correct about LA would probably be that. Um, yeah. In terms of the NFL, and yeah. from a comedian's perspective, um, I threw this out at you. Who is the easiest NFL player to make fun of right now? Oh yeah. So you listed uh, Baker Mayfield, Gronkowski, and Rogers when we were talking. And uh, I don't know if this works for everybody, but um, like I like I I was born in Cleveland. Baker Mayfield's funny in his commercials. I like Baker Mayfield. Uh, Rob Gronkowski is one of the best tight ends of all time like I, I have a brother that played football in college he reminds me of that type of person I like Rob <laughs> Gronkowski uh I don't like Aaron Rodgers and growing up in comedy in Chicago one of the things that I learned and you probably picked it up too is that when you don't like somebody it can be a lot easier to make fun of them because I don't like it. like I understand he might be the best quarterback of all time. That's why Jesus gets made fun of all because they were the best. Like, it's easy. Well, yeah. Sith, like, Lords, Sith Lords have a lot of power too as well, but you know, <laughs> it doesn't make them good people, right? I saw uh, someone did like a thing on Aaron Rodgers and I was just like, that's not how he talks. Like he's he's just so aloof. And and as a Bears fan, he's I think he loves being, well, he showed that a few weeks ago. He loves being the villain that uh, I think he is the person that would be the easiest to make fun of because I I dislike his presence in the world so much. Well, and as an English major, uh, his use of language the last couple of weeks probably raises a lot of red flags for you. It's just weird because you have to be smart to play in an LNFL offense, you know, that your brain can work on one level and then in another level be like, where where did that part go? Like, what are you talking about? I mean, like... Oh. That's the best part is uh, arrogance no uh, knows no bounds. You know, there is not intelligence has nothing to do with arrogance. It's right? like Peyton like, Manning waited till he was about to retire to promote Budweiser after winning a Super Bowl. Why are you like just shut up about everything? I do really I do really enjoy um, he's on my fantasy team. So it's not like I dislike the guy. I love Zeke Elliott. Um, he just looks like. He's just trapped in 1991, uh, just with the <laughs> nose ring or like the midriff shirt. Like he just lives his own life, his own way. I like I like him. He's easy to make fun of too. As it's well. also easy to make fun of people you like too. Like I think because you like them and it's easier to. I just I went to I've I've watched so many Bears Packer games. I went to the Bears Packer game where uh, the winner won the division and went to the playoffs, and he threw that pass and Peppers couldn't get to him in time. And like after the game, uh, he was like, "Now it's anybody's Super Bowl." I'm like. 
he literally was like, if the Bears had won, they weren't going to go anywhere. I'm just like, yeah, I don't, I don't need that from you. You don't like. Yeah, there's, there's, there's pain, uh, and this is uh, maybe this is a Midwest. I don't want to say it's a Chicago only thing because I think a lot of people in the Midwest do it. Is when there's pain involved, we definitely find ways to mine comedy out of it, mm-hmm. right? I think that's definitely a, one of our one of our defense mechanisms. Well, just the way he talks in a press conference, it's like. I know you're not high because they test for that, but it looked, he's just like, yeah, you know, body Mm. autonomy. Who taught you body autonomy? I don't know that. And I read the newspaper. (laughs) It's almost as if he's speaking slow enough because he wants to hear every, he wants to savor every word that comes out of his own mouth. And you know that, and that's the thing is I think a lot of people, you know, his comments aside, I've always kind of sort of known this smugness about him. That's what it is, smugness. And it's this great respect, obviously, of his play on the field. But when he opens up his mouth off the field, it really was one of those easy, like, easy delineations. I don't really really like these guys. And now it's just coming to light now. And guess what? I think there's more coming, you know, in the years to come. You know, it's interesting. The the smugness, I think it's a perfect word for it. And um, if... If I don't, I don't know about everything, but I feel like if he didn't have that, he would not be able to be the extremely high level of quarterback that he is. I think I, you need yeah. that to like get blown out in week one and be like, "What are you guys worried about? If we're worried about this, then we're in trouble. If we're worried, we're gonna worry." Like you have to have that to like carry your team to win the next six in a row. And he did that a few years ago. They lost the first two, and he's just like. We need to stop overreacting. <laughs> He's like the Manny Ramirez of NFL quarterbacks. Yeah, we yeah. need to stop overreacting, but he's definitely the dude who's like, oh, no, I, I go, oh, excuse me, do you mind? I'm going to take this and take it out to recycle it. And he goes, well, you know, 85% of what you're recycling is worthless. And you're just like, all right, well, thank you. What am I, I going to do? What am I going to do with that afterwards? Thank you for that factoid. He also knows on a Hail Mary, if someone looks like they touch your helmet, to go like this, and they'll call a uh, face masking. Like, he's a very smart man. <laughs> Which is why I think he knew exactly what he was doing. Mm-hmm. He used a lot of Mad Lib uh, buzzwords. Yep. He, like, I don't, yeah. Dropped. You know, he used woke mob, cancel culture, witch hunt within a span of 35 words. And I think he's intelligent to know well, those are buttons that, mm-hmm. that are easily pushed. And, you know, it's almost like I, I think he kind of knew what he was doing. Yeah. So. And also, like, I'm not – I totally uh, – I think if you're a professional athlete, they have the, the means to test everybody and make sure everyone's okay. If you choose not to do something – like, I, I was worn out after getting my shot for two days. If I was a professional athlete, I might be – I think everyone should get – but the, anyways – I, I feel like by deceiving people, that's the only thing where it's like, you really could have put like an old trainer at like a health at stake if he wasn't wearing a mask around him or something. Got it. Yeah. I'm just going to use the thing that's like messed up. I didn't, uh, I didn't, what is that? I didn't not, not lie or <laughs> like your honor. Like, he knew what to say. So he wouldn't legally get in trouble, but it was like, well, you, I'm in you mind. I'm in you mind. Ah, <laughs> two bears fans getting together, hating on Aaron Rodgers. That was a good meal. Our next course. Um, <laughs> let's talk. But about if you wanted to come play for Chicago. I would support that. <laughs> yeah, I would support that. I mean, I think we were, that was uh, a fantasy or a nightmare or whatever, which Before way you wanted to a couple years ago. But yeah, now yeah. with Justin Fields, I think 
No. Uh, and he's 38, 39. Um, yeah. Not to disparage the elderly, he's only a year older than me. So it's like, you know, whatever. Uh, That's another thing. He and I are the same, about the same age. And uh, I feel like, I feel like it's cool that someone that good is we're like, I feel like more connected to it because of the, like I was playing against high school kids that on some level he was playing against at the same time, which I think is cool. And so I'm just like, but also I, I yeah. And I don't know. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, which way you lean or not. It also kind of looks like uh, he's enjoying the, like his first marijuana cigarette for the first time in the last year yeah. or so. <laughs> it's like, it's so eye-opening for him. You guys had no idea what, you know, meditate. It's like, like all right, man. Well, and I think 20 years. There's also a thing, too, where it's like um, when they draft a quarterback to your to take your place. Like, he was insulted by that, right? Uh, and they did it to Brett Favre, too. But Aaron Rodgers had one of his best years ever. Ever. Last year. And so even if you don't want Jordan Love as Green Bay front office, and I'm not saying they did it on purpose, but you might be like, let's do that again. Cause it makes someone work play. He played so good thinking that no one liked it. <laughs> I know, but like, I don't think we want either of our like significant others to start bringing some other guy around and just being like, no, no, he's just here. Like <laughs> he's just here to learn. He's just well, here to learn about sports. being a husband. Yeah. That's the only thing it works. But he does look like a guy who's like just given up on this relationship and it's made him better. He's better. What's uh, what's your vibe right now on Justin Fields? I know we're only you know a couple eight games in, but you know the the arrows pointing up. Yeah. Uh, are you salivating at the mouth? Or are you you're trying to have more of a measured approach? Well, so I have the NFL Game Pass like because my brother gets on the on the Sunday ticket, so you can only get one at a time there. So I have to watch him recorded. I I I let him do that. Um, so I first off before we get, like I I thought Andy Dalton did a great job and if he hadn't gotten hurt I think they would have waited to put him in and I hope someone signs him because I think he's still really good. Yeah. I I liked I, I liked Cutler and I felt like Andy Dalton handled that offense and handled that team better. Just he just gets rid of the ball so fast. It reminded me of Kurt Warner. But Justin Fields last week, you know I I grew up in Indiana and I was there when Peyton Manning was a rookie and uh, I think people forget how bad that season was when they look at Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and everybody. And like, I, I remember turning on a game to watch the Colts and just seeing Peyton Manning like multiple times in a game, throwing interception, just like doing that Manning handshake. He have that, he'd always have that imprint on his forehead early on in his <laughs> career too, as well. It's like, and, and no one was even thinking about the way the announcers talk about fields sometimes. It's like, well, let's not like people just jump the gun so much. So I think people forget how hard it is to play quarterback. I think uh, it is the hardest position, and he's very. I think he's very good, and I think he'll just get better. And I don't. Uh, I don't think that we should uh, make big changes around him because of any of this. I think that they lost to the Browns, the Rams, um, the uh, the pack, the Packers, and uh, the 49ers are basically the only loss where it's like that's a team that's not going to make the playoffs. You know, so it's like no matter how the games look that they lost. Those were going to be hard games, anyways, and they're early in the season. So I don't, I think, I think it sucks he got hit so much. I don't like that. Yeah. But I, I think he's doing great, and I think that the season is it. Like, I was, I, I tweeted something the other day about the good part about cheering for a team that has a struggling record so far is that your playoffs start today. So it's very exciting. <laughs> we're in the playoffs now. We gotta win all of them. <laughs> must win territory, baby. We get, we get nine. We get nine to ten must win games a year. And they're so cheap right now because they're under five hundred. You want to go to a game? You can't. 
go to a playoff Bears game. So it, it, is, it should be exciting. I like watching him. I think he's, I think he's great, and I, I'm excited to see what happens. But, but I, I don't like the, the way the media responded to Nagy or to um, Andy Dalton or to like just the way some of the struggling happened because, I mean, I played quarterback just in high school, and it's very hard. The other thing I, I thought about, too, was like I made some plays in high school where like and not even Justin Fields, like, did you see the Stafford interception last week where he's getting, like, twirled around in the end zone? He just throws – I'm like, yeah. I never did anything close like that, and I got yelled at so much. Like, <laughs> like there was one play before halftime where I audible to, like, a guy doing a quick slant rather than just going deep because it was open, I thought, and I threw it, and the receiver, like, volleyballed it straight into the air, and it was picked off and ran it back for a touchdown before half, and that was a game we could have won. And our coach was so mad at me. And I could tell because he didn't even like look at me or talk to me. Like usually they scream at you. And I was like, that's not even close to almost being sacked in the end zone, just like throwing it to anybody. Like that's like Yeah, tip tipped interceptions are, are total bullshit. I'm really glad that you brought that up about Andy Dalton because um on the on the pod here, my stance on it has been one, you know, as Chicago Bears fans, we love, you know, getting out the shovel and putting a bunch of dirt on a quarterback. We love that nothing better than anything. But again, you know, Andy Dalton was was very solid, too professional. Uh, accorded himself and became friends with Justin Fields, which I thought was a real positive. And also, you know, I, we were a little bit up the track a little bit, but, you know, if Justin Fields had to miss a game or two, Andy Dalton is a superb backup that could step in at any moment and easily come in and win a game. I mean, I think if it wasn't the situation, he, like, he looked like a starting quarterback for the games that I saw. It didn't look like – and I think that's why they signed him and then they had a chance to get Fields, which is maybe like a once-in-a-generation type talent. Uh, so they had to. But the way that Andy Dalton got rid of the ball and made his reads, and he just comes like that first game of the year, that wasn't the offense's fault that they lost that game to the Rams. It was just like he made plays and uh, he he throws the ball well. And um, yeah, uh, I never really watched him in Cincinnati, but I see why they went to the playoffs. Well, and and my general stance on it was it had a little less to do with Andy Dalton. It had a little bit more to do with. So the analogy I used at the beginning of the year was imagine if you go to a concert. And Justin Fields is the headliner, mm-hmm. and Andy Dalton is the opener, and the yeah. opener is what like better than Ezra. And you're like, oh, you know, I know a couple of these songs. I remember yeah. the band. Let's stick around, but you're not fully kind of committed to it. You're kind of waiting, and you're cool, just kind of chilling out and waiting for the headliner. Let's have a cocktail. Yeah. Let's get some food. But I think what ended up kind of really happening was, it was almost as if we were all going to sit down to watch a movie. Let's just say Dune or something, and yeah. we're hey, let's watch Sidekicks first. Yeah, and then, hey. Sidekicks, solid film, right? But yeah. like, we're not here to do this. We're here for Sidekicks, we're here for Dune, and I think that just kind of expedited and sped up that process a little bit quicker. I do blame, Obviously, he got hurt, you know what I mean? He got hurt, and I do blame the front office for the way they handled it all. I think that, like I said, they might not have had a choice. Like it might not, have, it might have been like a Conan Leno thing, where like that's how they had to do it. They that's the resources they had available. Um, but it did put the fan base in a situation where it was like, how do we root for this guy? Who you said the starter when there's this guy um, who, uh, who obviously has great talent. I mean, he showed that they just ran out of time last week. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask you, want to ask you a couple of life questions here. Uh, life question one of all the sports referees. Yeah. Which one would be the most appealing for you to do professionally that maybe would line up with your personality traits? Uh, yeah. That's a good question. I think for knowledge-wise, I've played baseball longer than any, and I think I like baseball because uh, pretty much if you're behind the plate, you're always going to be wrong. 
Like there's no choice but to be wrong. Like you're looking at up and down and side to side and the ball's coming in as fast as a man can throw it and he's making it as hard to see as possible. You're going to be wrong. So it's like, good, that's fine. Like, yeah, and I like, <laughs> yeah. And I like the idea of like, uh, you're just hanging out all day in the sun watching baseball. You know, that's like fun. And the way you get to explain things, that's the only sport where you really get to be like, maybe basketball. But from a perspective like, of like... Baseball umpires, there's emotional arc. Mm -hmm. like strike one, strike two, strike three. Those are not the same strikes, right? Yep. And, 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 and there's like rules where they're like, well, you didn't get that strike because you weren't even close on the first two. It's like, that's not... That's not in the box. I wasn't looking for that because your first two were way out of here. So you don't like I, I, I play in a league where the umpire, which I like the umpire called a strike on a low outside pitch. He's like, I don't know about that one. And I, I'm just like, ah, whatever. And then there was one that was clearly like a strike and he's like ball three. I'm like, that's fair. That's fair. Good. <laughs> I, I did it. I, I was an umpire growing up, uh, you know, weekend side hustle kind of thing. Yeah. And I just can't wrap my head around that. That just gets in my head. Can you imagine being like, oh, I missed this call? And then every preceding pitch, you're like, oh, is this the one that I give it back? <laughs> it's like so tough. It's just a lot, of, a lot of thinking going on, a little too much thinking. One, one umpire recently in a game, one of my games, uh, one of the players complained about a strike. And he's like, you're just used to that college strike zone. <laughs> what do you mean? The one that works? Like, it's the same. Like, <laughs> You're used to people who see stuff. So I, I think I would do baseball, but from a perspective of like, I don't know as much about it, but just being on skates for that long and like skating around and, and like, I think hockey would be the most fun because you're like, it's so action in, in your face and the penalties are so clear. It's like, oh, you almost killed that guy. You got to go sit down. Like there's no, like, there's no arguing when it comes to What's that? The other part uh, that's super fun would be the half-hearted breaking up of the fight, because they don't really, yeah. they don't really get in there. It's kind that's, of that's funny. Like hockey referees are like really bad gym teachers. Like, all right, we'll let you, we'll let you work on this. I'm gonna look the other way for a second. Work with these guys until you hit the ice. Come back on the mat. Come back. <laughs> back on the mat. <laughs> this isn't dodgeball. Why are you throwing your face? Um, if there is a – now, you mentioned quarterback, so this could be the answer if you want to. Uh, you could play a sport right now professionally and maybe still, like, live the life that you live now as close as you possibly can to it. Which uh, sport and which position would it be? So I, do, I did like quarterback a lot, um, but my helmet always burned my forehead. So I don't think it was all sunshine and roses, you know? Like, I was – I had a lot of fun. I loved it. And I think if I – like I said, I think if I uh, maybe just – mentally was in a little more positive like understanding more i think now as you get older you're just more forgiving of your shortcomings as a person especially as an athlete because you don't have so i think it would be more fun but i think professional baseball player is just the the you're out there in the sun playing every day it's what i love my dad played it my brothers played it and i was the best i was the most that was like the most likely to be able to continue sport for me so there's that was just the most natural that was the one where it was like if like that was the closest where I was like, oh, I can see that happening in some way. Whereas like, I don't know, I'm five eleven and a half. Drew Brees was six foot, so you got to be like, I never like. Now you can be a shorter quarterback. Uh, Your hands are probably but, the size of his too as well. He had tiny, <laughs> he had jerk, little hands. 
Yeah. So, like, I think quarterback is fun. It's just such a physical uh, sport to do for your whole life that I think I would have loved to play baseball. Um, I, yeah, I have one for you. It's definitely in baseball. And this is probably because I did in high school. But, dude, just picture a world like this. Mm-hmm. You were the backup catcher. Yeah. You're not really, you know, you're moving around from city to city sometimes. So maybe the moving around part kind of sucks. But backup catcher, what, you play once, twice a week? Mm-hmm. Make about 650K. Yeah, you're in shape because you're not like in shape, but you get to stretch. So you yeah. like steak like all the time. <laughs> yeah, expectations super low. <laughs> they give you compliments and laud you for things that are intangible. Like he does a great job managing the staff. Clubhouse <laughs> <laughs> presence, these unquantifiable things. Um, yeah. you know, I, as much as I would love millions of dollars, I could probably live off six fifty k and not be in the best shape of my life. I think that's what I was. I think that's what I go for. Backup catcher. Yeah, I think if I were to pick a position, I would, I I like it. Like I think I would have to put comedy on hold for sure, but I would just play like left field or right field, and just uh, and be a guy who was like, flirting with four hundred, once in my career, but over three hundred. I do. Of uh, here comes the closer, Michael Palisak. <laughs> the last couple outs, and if you're looking to get out tonight, come down to Zanies. <laughs> you could do open mics as a backup catcher. You could go to open mics every oh, time. Easily, easily, I could work material hard, and then just you know, obviously, I have to probably catch you know Sunday, maybe a getaway day on a Thursday or something. But that's yeah. a day game. Day games getaway. I could be there by nighttime. Easy. Can I do a guest spot at the improv? Sure. Where do you? I'm I'm catching on Sunday, so I can't do that. <laughs> I can do the I can do the late show on Saturday. Um, one of my final questions for you, Mr. Michael Palasek, here on Bet on Chicago. Um, as far as I've known you, and you, it's continued uh, through your comedy, and it's honestly, I don't. You can you can speak on it, but I've always felt like it's one of the core things that you sort of work off of, and you've mined it eternally for so much hilarious content is there was a time in your life when you lived with your parents yeah. and earlier you know um you know learning i don't know just the concept of what it is to be funnier or, or uh, observing comedy through your parents um if you could give some advice right now yeah to younger listeners out there that maybe are still living with their parents what advice would you give to them how do they ace that how do they make that experience as positive um and as nourishing as possible for them yeah i think um I, and it was probably because we moved to Chicago when I was like in college already. So I didn't necessarily have like this high school friend base that I was with. And then we lived in the suburbs. So it's not like I was hanging out in the city after shows a lot. Uh, Cause I had to drive back. So I became friends with my parents. Like, and they were my, almost my biggest fans and supporters. Cause I took them along with my career or the whole way. Like I got to do a festival in Vegas when I started out and they, I did a thing with Comedy Central in LA and they, like, they would come out and like, it was almost like their journey too. So I, I would say um, the more that, especially if you're doing comedy or something like that, that you can connect your parents to it and get them excited about it. Like the more they're going to support, like I would come home late in, or I'd be up late and I work like, and I would be working and my dad would be waking up to go to work. And I never, uh, ever got criticized or anything. Cause my dad just, he was like, Oh, you're the, he would make fun of how I was the third shift. And he, the first shift was coming in. So I could go to bed and it was, and it was like, it was like they got to go along on the roller coaster ride too, and I think that's what made it special for all of us. Yeah, and I think you said you get, did it in college. I never like did the whole thing where I, uh, you know, where you get away from me, mom, get away from me, dad. I don't know if I ever like really fully did that, but there is that point 
I think in your early 20s when you start to connect with them, or at least you feel internally that your parents start to sort of see you as a little bit more of an adult and you can actually have more of a bit of a friendship. I, I live with my dad in the summers during college. Yeah. I'd live in the city and then in the summer I'd go home and live with him. Yeah. It was a different way of, of viewing our relationship and I did found it to be really positive. Yeah. And like, I, I'm very grateful that they were in a place where they could let me just eat and live there for free. It is funny though. Uh, I started doing some colleges and my dad's an accountant. So he did my taxes every year and there was a year I did like a ton of schools and he did my taxes. He's like, all right, you got to start paying rent. I was like, you're not supposed to share that information with yourself. Like you can't tell my landlord how much money I make. That's not fair. So there was, I mean, that, that like stopped when I moved out and stuff, but it, it's very, it's a very special relationship that, I mean, I have a son that I would hope that uh, in some way I could have. And I think I was also uh, lucky that as the middle child where uh, my older brother had like went out and been, was an engineer and like he became a lawyer later. He didn't really like engineering. Whereas my parents were just happy that I liked what I did. So I think that's the other advice is just find something you love and tell them how much you love it and show them how much you love it. And usually parents like it when you love something. Uh, yourself into jokes it. in your special and I'm not going to try and paraphrase it because people just need to go out and watch it and check out the drive our comedy special. Uh, what millennials do after graduation is the Caribbean joke. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was that was another part of that that really worked out where I wanted to write jokes about my life. And then um, I started I think I did like a Donnie Skybox sketch show where I did like kind of like a monologue about living at home with my parents. And uh, and I got a lot of jokes from that. And I, I think like there is a part of you that is living at home when you're an adult. And that's that's not how it's supposed to be. And that's what was funny. Um, but it also like fed the thing that kept me living back at home was like the comedy. So it was, it was just like this perfect thing. Like I was talking about it and it was real, but it was also like that that's how I was able to do it. Well, I always felt like too, and I, and sincerely, man, I always felt the, and I, I've always liked you for the fact that I felt like that your, your character and your personality and the way that you were able to view that and the way that you were able to spin that into into comedy but also do it with an authenticity because i think a lot of people when they do live with their parents it's this miserable experience and yeah. for you i think you found comedy in being like you know what this this ain't so fucking bad and you know they're yeah. actually they're actually good people and you can have good relationships with it yeah for sure i think anytime you can have that attitude it helps but also like our personality types it just seemed to work and also like I think in me, like my dad definitely, and both my mom were like, you should get a different job. You should do this, whatever, at some point. And before they both got on board at the same time. Um, but I just in I just knew what I was going to do and what I wanted to do that, that it didn't matter to me what they said. So I think like I was willing to go work or live. If I had to move out, they, I was willing to like get a job and have to do that. But they were just like, well, this is probably the easiest way for you to do it more. And in the time it was, yeah. Uh, final question for you. Um, the most pressing question. Uh, this podcast is uh, being published on a Monday. It's yeah. coming out this Friday. Scale of one to ten, we're in the same, we're in the same age bracket. How pumped are you for Ghostbusters? <laughs> Very pumped. I'm super excited. Uh, I wasn't allowed to watch the first one because my parents thought I was too scary. So like, really? it was one of those things that came into this thing. Like, oh, I'm gonna love it even more when I see it, and I did. Um, and then people will criticize the second one. I'm like, did you see the same movie as I saw? Like, I don't know what's, what's wrong with you. <laughs> I think the second one's fantastic. I mean, yeah. the, 
this is good. The story's yeah. great. The, the the jokes are still there. I mean, yeah. people, they always the, with sequels in general, not just Ghostbusters two. It's so easy to go with um, it's dark or it's more serious than the original because that's the natural progression of most yeah. anyways. Yeah. I feel like sequels are like how Chicago is with quarterbacks. Everyone's so quick to just be like, no, no. And it's like, no, it's good. This is good. And then people with the third one, like I'm very happy that they made a third one. And I, I feel like I feel like it'll be even better to see a fourth one. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. Never, I'll never have a problem with more Ghostbusters. Yeah, I did not really enjoy the third one, even though it it, it was uh, I think it was an honest attempt. But again, uh, it was it was an honest attempt, but it was derivative to the originals when it could have just maybe been its own thing. So I'm really curious about this new one because we know that we're living in the age of fan service. Yeah. How many little uh, jokes or how many little lines are going to be kind of parroted or sort of uh, you know sort of snipped from the originals and put in there. I'm kind of curious to see. And it, it's, it, I think what's hard to do when, when they did the third one was like the first one had the people that wrote it in it. Right. And so it's like, how do you, 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 you almost have to do something completely different because they, they made it like, and they, that was a specific place in time. It's going to be hard. It was in there. Like, like you could tell that they loved being those ghostbusters. Like as a kid growing, you would want to, and I think you have that that was just so clear and and with Egon and all those guys. So. Yeah, I think it's in good hands. Uh, I'm super excited to see it. And uh, but I thought Leslie Jones was great in the third one. If anybody hasn't seen the third one, I think she's great. Yeah, a lot of really a lot of really cool moments, honestly. And, and then the other the other thing is, um, like maybe that's what the third one suffered a little bit is the the big bad, the big bad the big bad either needs to be um, very specific and it needs to actually like really hit home, or it needs to be something maybe about a little bit something bigger. And which which would probably it looks like we're gonna have a return of a former villain in this new one. So you know. That yeah, yeah. Also, I think that they might have gotten into the thing where, like you were saying, where there was so many people working on this thing that was so big that now that they ha that one got out of the way, this one can sort of be whatever it is because we've already tried to do what they we've already tried to do the third one. So now we can just make whatever we want. And that's a rope back, but you did bring up a really interesting point about Chicago sports fans. Uh, and I was talking about this earlier this week is I have this theory because if you look around, you know, gosh, you know, like the Dodgers, let's stick with baseball, right? Dodgers, um, the Braves, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cardinals. We have teams that have been over 500 for 20 to 22 years and somehow just keep the train rolling over and over yeah. and over again. And you see things like what happened to the Cubs last year after, you know, starting with this young core, core of guys, 2015, win the World Series 2016, five years later, they're starting all over again. Yeah. There's something about Chicago sports fans, and I think it gives them probably like a false sense of intelligence or maybe this false license of the easiest thing for a Chicago sports fan to do is just be like, get rid of them. <laughs> Start over. Bring kids. It's all about prospects. You know what I mean? Where these teams just like do it for 20 to 25 years where the, the Chicago sports teams do it for like six. Yeah. We get ahead of ourselves. And then we're like, we need to get rid of everybody. It's, it was crazy to me when they were like, uh, when the Cubs ownership or whatever, I don't know exactly if they were quoted as saying this, but they got rid of their whole team basically. And they were like, uh, my joke is they're playing in the, they're playing in the field of dreams game next year, which makes sense because none of their stars exist in the physical realm. Uh, <laughs> you mean to tell me if I build a field, Chris Bryant, Anthony, Schwarber <laughs> will come back and play? Maybe. maybe. Um, it's fun that they were like you. They're like, well, uh, 
were were trading away for the future. Like the it took you well like over a hundred years to win a World Series this time. Like there's no future. There's it's a hundred years away possibly. Like, and these guys are young. You just don't want to spend the money. Like it's funny how you said somehow the teams that you listed I think all have payrolls over two hundred million dollars. Like somehow yeah they. They gave Justin Turner money in LA. Like they're gonna give, like the Yankees throw money around the Red Sox. Do like it, it's an investment. It doesn't always work, and you don't always need it. Like the Rays turned it around. The Indians are in there sometimes. The Guardians sometimes. But uh, so weird that like Cubs fans got to the top of the mountain, and like five years later, now they're just like, let's start over. <laughs> what, what, we we did that. We did that part. This is the no look back era of the Chicago Cubs. But we already now are, are roping back around to the old neighborhood. I do have a I have a friend who's a Cubs fan, and so I, I go to Dodgers games in LA because it's so e- it was so easy, like it was so cheap, and it's twenty minutes from where I live or whatever. And so I, I they became like a national like I'm a White Sox fan, but became like a National League sort of fun team for me to watch. And he was saying that that it was good that the Dodgers didn't world win the World Series those years because they kept the team together. Whereas like the Cubs, they hadn't blown it up completely yet, but they didn't bring back Dexter Fowler. They didn't bring back some of the guys when they won the World Series, and uh, and the Dodgers had to because they didn't they didn't win it. Oh, that's there's a ton of truth in that. And then once you get what you want and it doesn't meet your expectation moving forward, all of a sudden you think you can just go out and find something uh, new and better when it's not necessarily the case, especially in sports. And you know I think we learned that with you know those. Chicago Bulls teams in the early two ends and you know this Bulls team is pretty good now we'll see what happens but then we'll see how far they get this year and then the following summer I hope we don't get so crazy where it's like let's just trade everyone and bring in a big star you know I think you're kind of building something that maybe needs a couple years to sort of flesh out there are great examples that when someone's young or in their prime like with Greg Olson I remember when the Bears traded him it was just like he's not a fit for Mike Martz's system I mean and it's like and I, I was, I was sort of, we were in Chicago for a while, but not super long. I, I didn't follow the Bears a ton, but I was like, I think he's good still, but maybe not. And then he had like, how many Pro Bowl seasons after that? It's just like, and like Jay Cutler would have loved to throw it. <laughs> and then the tight end becomes the position in the NFL that defines winning teams with the Patriots and the Chiefs. Like, and uh, so, yeah, I think that running money at the position ever since, you know what I mean? Chris, you call commits the new guy, but that was this is we're 14 years now. Removed. Yeah. Chris Bryant and Schwarber and uh, the pitcher that went to the White Sox. And uh, I mean, I don't I, I think Rizzo is also good, but I think Chris Bryant is like and and Baez were like MVP candidates consistently. And you just like you said, you just don't find those and. And I think they bring in enough money on their own. <laughs> it's, it's pretty hilarious that obviously now we are entering into an offseason, the Cubs, with tons of money to spend. Yeah. And a lot of Cubs fans are saying, well, hey, let's toss some money back into it and let's try and get competitive again. We've got all these prospects that will show up in three or four years. Let's try and get competitive now. Yeah. If you pull up the list of whatever the top 15 free agents, yeah, over a third of them are all used to be on your team. I know. <laughs> <laughs> what's happening yeah yeah, uh, yeah. and um uh, michael palisak uh dry bar comedy special out right now you can find it on youtube what millennials do after graduation and also you know he's done amazing guest spots and all the different late night shows you can catch him on the road right now michael man great to see you dude please throw yeah. out your socials 
uh, website, a different way where people are listening right now. Um, yeah. People that aren't just in LA and Chicago listening to the pod. So maybe they can check you out on the road and figure it out, but throw out all that good stuff for the people. Yeah. So my website is www. Uh, I don't know. How do you say that? Michaelpalsack.com. That's Michael and then P A L A S C A K.com. Uh, or just Google it. It'll come up. And then that's uh, for Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. It's just at Michael Palisak. And uh, I promote my shows on there. I put clips on there. I put video. Um, I, sh- I released an album called The Internet Live that's on Spotify. And I have the video of that that comes out on like TikTok and Instagram sometimes too. So I'm here called The Bright Side that I shot during the pandemic. So I didn't have a haircut, but it's still funny regardless of how I look physically. Uh, well, dude, man, so great to see you. It's been a long time. It's been too long. Um, thank you so much for coming on, dude. So happy for your su- success, man. I mean, we knew each other 12, 13 years ago, and man, you fizz or whatever fits or fizz fizz bar fizz yeah, yeah and dude, you are a uh, a legitimate, accomplished comedian in the scene who tours and entertains people all around the country, man. I'm super happy for you. Um, I always have been rooting for you, but I'm really glad to see you again. And maybe now that stuff's getting a little normal. We live in the same neighborhood. Maybe we'll watch some sports sometime. That sounds great. Yeah. We, we got a good Bulls team and, and hopefully Bears. Yeah. Perfect. The Bears are in the playoffs. Oh, so. Bulls are a perfect <laughs> excuse for a bro hang on a Thursday. Yeah. I don't know. You got a kid, but we'll try and figure it out. No. Uh, today, dude, great to see you, man. Uh, today's episode of Bet on Chicago with Joey Christopoulos was presented by BetOnline.ag. 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. When you use promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0. Thank you so much for checking out this pod. we got plenty more great stuff coming the rest of this week. We're going to be previewing Bears and Ravens week 11. Make sure you check that out. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. And remember, when in doubt, always bet on Chicago. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.